Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I'm thankful for Jim and Seth preaching the last two weeks, but grateful to have the opportunity to be opening up the Word of God with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James. If you're new with us this morning, if it's been a while since you've been with us, we are in the middle of a series on the book of James, as is the case here all the time at Fremont Free. We like to take books of the Bible and preach to them verse by verse because we want the Word of God to set the agenda. So this morning, that means that we're in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. Let me pray, and then we'll get to it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. We know the last thing we need this morning is more opinions, but what we desperately need is to hear from you. And so we're praying that you would speak loudly and clearly through your word this morning. Lord, help us to receive your word and to see it as what it is, a blessing to us. That in your kindness to us, you've revealed yourself to us through your word. And now we have an opportunity to hear what your word teaches and put it into practice. And that is our goal, that we wouldn't just hear this morning, that we would be doers. So Father, please be gracious to us this morning. Please speak to us through your word. Please give us a desire to hear from you. We pray that you would indeed speak loudly and clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So about 10 years ago now, I went to a pastor's conference in Florida. One of the speakers at that conference was a well-known pastor and author. He was one of those guys that seemed to be getting a little bit more famous each year and a little bit more influential each year, too. And looking back, it's not hard to see why that was the case. He was an entertaining writer, a gifted communicator, and overall, it seemed like he had some really good things to say. And all those gifts were certainly on display at the conference I attended. Well, I didn't necessarily agree with everything that he said. He had a way of communicating that got your attention and provoked some serious reflection. In particular, he had a way of pointing to Scripture and highlighting the work of Christ that was really encouraging. But alas, shortly after the conference, this particular pastor was exposed as a fraud and hypocrite. After multiple allegations of sexual impropriety, he was forced to resign in disgrace from his church. And although he was shortly thereafter reinstated to another ministry job at another church, which is crazy, by the way, he would eventually be fired from that job as well as more allegations of sexual misconduct would come to the surface. Simply put, this guy did not practice what he preached He may have claimed to be a man who loved the Word of God, but he did not do what the Word of God said. And as you know, tragically, his story is not unique. In fact, I've purposely withheld his name because his name doesn't really matter. There are a thousand stories just like his. Men, or in some cases women, who've risen to prominence in the Christian world because of their gifts, in many cases because of their unique skill in being able to explain the Word of God. And yet all the while, they're living a fraudulent and hypocritical lifestyle, They know the Word of God, but they do not do what it says. As it turns out, this is kind of a problem. When I say kind of a problem, I mean a really serious problem. And it's a problem that James directly addresses throughout the book of James and specifically addresses in our passage today. In James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27, James is going to plead with his readers to not just hear the Word of God, but to do what it says. And it's clear from the content of the passage that James's concern for his readers to do what the Word of God says is not a trivial or slight concern, but rather for James, this is an issue of grave importance. To only hear the Word of God and not do what it says is to deceive ourselves into a false sense of security and to run the risk of making shipwreck of our souls. As James clearly teaches in our passage today, to be a Christian and to truly receive the Word of God is not just to hear what the Word of God says, but it is to do what the Word of God says. And to be absolutely clear, James's concern in this passage is not just for celebrity, pra- celebrity pastors that don't practice what they preach. 
His concern is for every single person who claims to be a follower of Christ, which would include every person in this room who claims to be a follower of Christ. The question for every person in this room who falls in that category is simply this. Will we actually do what the Word of God says, or will we merely listen and give lip service? The challenge from James in this passage is crystal clear. If we claim to know Christ, we must be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. To live in any other way is to deceive ourselves and miss out on the great blessing of obeying our Lord and Savior. So I said, let's get to it. James 1, 22 to 27, if you will. Please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. The words will be on the screen here. You can follow along as I read or you can look along in your own Bibles. But either way, I would remind you, and the reason why we stand is this is the Word of God. As such, it is due our reverence. James 1, starting in verse 22, says this, But be doers of the Word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's the word of God, you may be seated. It's probably helpful to remember that in the book of James, James is writing to a group of Christians that, generally speaking, were being marginalized, persecuted, suffering because of their faith. And so throughout the book of James, James is encouraging his brothers and sisters in Christ to hold fast to Christ in the midst of their trials. Yes, of course, it would be easier just to go with the world. And yes, it would be easier not to live out the Christian faith if persecution is the result. But throughout the book, James is pleading with his readers, despite those difficulties, stay the course. And certainly today's passage fits well within the overall context of that book or of the book. James wants his readers to keep following Christ And keep obeying Christ even when it's difficult, even when it leads to suffering. That said, while it's somewhat easy to see how today's passage fits in the overall context of the book of James, it's a bit more challenging to figure out how does this connect to the immediate context? In other words, how does it connect to the verses right before it? It's also somewhat of a challenge to figure out how do all the pieces in this particular passage, verses 22 to 27, fit together? So before we get into the weeds of the passage, let me do my best to explain how I think this passage connects to what comes before it and also to explain how this passage fits together. I think the key to understanding how this passage connects to what comes before it is noticing the repeated, or excuse me, repeated reference to the Word. Back in James 1.18, James reminded us that God rescued us from our sin through the Word of truth. When we heard the good news of the gospel and God opened our eyes to the truth, that we are great sinners and Christ is a great Savior, this is what God used to bring us to life, the Word of truth. In James 1.21, James again speaks of the Word. In that verse that we looked at last week, James implored us to put away all filthiness and all wickedness and to receive the implanted Word which is able to save our souls. And in particular, I think it's reference to the Word in verse 21 that connects to our passage today. In verse 21, again, the passage we looked at last week, James talks about receiving the Word. Now in today's passage, verse 22, James is clarifying, I think, what it means to receive the Word. Namely, receiving the word does not just mean that we hear the word. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. 
Rather, receiving the word is not just to be a hearer, but it's also to do what the word says. And make no mistake, I think that is the main point of this passage. To receive the word, we must be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And then the rest of the passage, James elaborates on the importance and practicality of being a doer of the word. Verses 23 to 25, James is going to give us a couple of illustrations to help us better understand why we need to be doers and not just hearers. Verses 26 to 27, he's going to give us some specific application as to what it looks like to be a doer, not just a hearer. So in summary then, what we would say is this. Verse 22 explains how we receive the word. That's what connects to what comes before it. How do we receive the word? By being a doer and not just a hearer. And then in verses 23 to 27, James gives us some illustration and application as to why we should be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And actually, that outline of the passage then is going to serve as our our outline for our time together this morning. Verse 22, we have one overarching command, be a doer of the word and not hearer only. Verses 23 to 25, we have two illustrations as to why we should do that. And then in verses 26 to 27, three specific application points as to what being a doer of the word looks like. So one overarching command, two illustrations, three specific application points. That's the outline for our time together this morning. So let's start with the first, the one overarching command. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Now before we dive into the weeds of why that's important and what that means, I think it's very important that we clarify something before we get to the importance of being a doer. And what we need to clarify is this, that in the book of James, James is going to talk a lot about the importance of obeying God's commands and putting our faith into action. But what we need to understand is that nothing James will say in this book will contradict the idea that we are saved by grace alone and not by our works. The New Testament as a whole is very clear on this. We're not saved by our effort. We're not saved by our religion. We're not saved by our merit. We're not saved by what we do. We are saved by the grace of God alone and by the work of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Jesus lived the life we could not live. Jesus rose from the dead. And it's only because he took the punishment we deserved and lived the life that we could not live. And it's only because he rose from the dead that any of us have any hope of salvation. We are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. It's not anything we do that rescues us from our sin. It's what Christ has done. Let's be absolutely clear on this. Let's also be clear that there's nothing that James will say in this book that will contradict that reality. But having said that, it's obvious in the book of James that James has an expectation, and obviously we believe that James is being led by the Holy Spirit, but James has an expectation that if we have faith in Christ, we will live differently because of our faith in Christ. To receive the gospel message is not just to give intellectual assent to the idea that Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. No, it's to turn from our sin and put our trust in Christ. And that trust in Christ will be evidenced by the fact that we will have a desire to obey Christ's commands. Now certainly we'll talk a lot more about this relationship between grace and works in chapter 2. Because in chapter 2 we have one of the most debated and famous passages in all of scripture about the relationship between grace and works. But this idea of grace and works is inescapable even here in chapter 1. As verse 22 makes clear, James has an expectation that we will not just be hearers of the word, but we will actually do what it says. Not because doing the word brings salvation. Again, Christ alone brings salvation. But because doing the word is evidence that we have been saved by Christ. In fact, 
As James implies in verse 22, if we don't actually obey the word, we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that we've actually received the word when perhaps we've not actually done so. In fact, listen again to the language of verse 22, where James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This reference to deceiving ourselves in verse 22 seems to be a reference to the idea that if we're not actually doers of the word, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we've received the word, again, that's verse 21, but we've not actually done so. As Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, the passage that Jim read earlier, it's not the one who hears the word who's able to withstand the storms of life and the storms of God's judgment. It's the one who hears the word and does it which raises a pretty obvious question for us as a follow-up this morning. Are we the type of people who hear the word and just leave it at that? Or are we the type of people who actually do what it says? Listen, we've all known someone, in fact, I would guess we know multiple people, who go to church on a regular basis, and yet the rest of the week they act in a way that is completely contradictory to what the word of God teaches. We have names for that type of person, hypocrite, fraud, phony. But here in James 1, James has a different name for that type of person, deceived. Think about it this way. If I told you that I was the world's greatest Husker fan, and yet I never watched a game, I didn't know any names of the players, I didn't even know the colors of the team, you would quickly identify me as a fraud. But if I genuinely believed that I was still the world's greatest Husker fan, despite not knowing any of those things, at some point you would come to the conclusion, not only am I a fraud, but I've deceived myself. I've convinced myself of something that's just not true. And actually, it's that type of person, the person who's deceived themselves that James is concerned about here. Here in James 1.22, James is not addressing, it would seem, the person who knows that they don't know Christ and thus don't obey the word. Rather, he's addressing the person who thinks they know Christ, but in reality, they're deceiving themselves. And in that way, this passage should very much get our attention. James is not addressing the irreligious, the agnostic, the atheist. He's addressing the religious person who thinks they know Christ. In other words, he's addressing people like us. I was a student at the University of Northern Iowa for four years, and I spent an additional two years on staff with the collegiate ministry there. In those six years on campus, I had a lot of spiritual conversations and engaged in a lot of ministry activity. And if there's one thing I say I learned in those six years, I think it's this. In the early 2000s, most students at the University of Northern Iowa claimed that Christianity was the religion. And yet, a very small percentage actually seemed to be following Christ. So practically what this meant is that when I talked to them about Jesus, most of them were at least familiar with the gospel story. They'd heard about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins, and they would even claim that they probably believed that to be true. In other words, they'd heard the word of truth before, but they weren't actually doers of the word. They weren't actually following Christ. And in that way, James would say they were deceiving themselves. They called themselves Christians, but they hadn't actually received the word. Now, here's the thing. A lot has changed since the early 2000s at the University of Northern Iowa. There's not as many cargo pants or baggy jeans as there used to be, although I've heard cargo pants are making their way back. I don't know if that's good or bad. You don't see as many guys with frosted tips in their hair as you used to back then. And certainly the spiritual climate of our country has changed dramatically since 2000s, or the early 2000s. But having said that, I would say this, I think Fremont, Nebraska in 2023 is still not all that different than the University of Northern Iowa back in the early 2000s, at least in terms of spiritual climate. Most Fremonters, I'm certainly not suggesting all, but most Fremonters, I would guess the majority, would still claim that Christianity is their official religion. 
And yet, how many of them are actually following the commands of Christ? How many of them are actually doing what the Word of God says? The reality is that by James' standards here in verse 22, many of our neighbors and friends and family members have deceived themselves. They hear the word of truth, but they're not actually doing what it says. And thus, they've tricked themselves into thinking that they received the word when they haven't. Now, having said that, the million-dollar question this morning, though, is this. Are you one of those people? Are you merely a hearer of the word? Are you one who does what it says? Is your Christianity only something that lasts for about an hour on Sunday mornings? Or is every aspect of your life marked by a desire to honor and obey Christ? Now, in asking that, let me be clear in saying this. I'm not asking the question, are you perfect? James is not suggesting here that in order to be considered a genuine Christian, we must always do the word and never mess up. That would be an impossible standard this side of glory and a standard that is completely inconsistent with the rest of the New Testament. Of course we are going to mess up at times. Of course we are going to still sin. So the standard here in James 1 is not perfection, but the standard is, do we want to obey the word? And in general, is our life characterized by a desire and an actual willingness to do what the word says? And not just a willingness, by the way, but do we actually put it into action? In other words, what we're saying is this. The standard is, are we hearers only or are we doers also? Let me give you some practical examples here. Husbands, do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Which is something Scripture commands you to do, by the way. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do it perfectly, but is this something that you're actively seeking to do every single day? Or is this just something you give lip service to? Parents, are you training up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, by the way? That, too, is something Scripture commands. Or, in reality, is your primary goal in parenting, if someone were to observe your life, say, well, it's just to make their kids upwardly mobile. Kids, do you honor your parents? Do you attempt to bring glory to Christ at school or with your friends? Or is Christianity just something you do on Sunday morning or something you do when your parents are watching? Listen, anybody can say they follow Christ and anybody can claim that they've received the word. But as Jesus makes clear in Matthew 7 and as James makes abundantly clear here in James 1, it's not the hearer of the word who's on solid ground. It's the one who hears and does the word of God. This is the person who's blessed. And to drive home that point, James gives us a couple of illustrations, which brings us to the second part of the text, the two illustrations found in verses 23 to 25. First illustration is found in verses 23 and 24. It says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So to illustrate the absurdity of being a person who hears the word of God but does not do it, James gives what I think is a rather humorous illustration in verses 23 and 24. He compares the person who only hears the word but doesn't do it to one who looks in the mirror but then immediately forgets what they look like. So imagine this scenario. Imagine it's your wedding day. And right before the ceremony, you look in the mirror and to your horror, you realize that everything on your face is a disaster. There's a giant booger hanging from one of your nostrils. There's a huge piece of food covering one of your front teeth. And there's an enormous stain of pink lipstick from your great Aunt Ethel giving you that kiss on the cheek. Imagine how embarrassing it would be to realize this is what you look like on your wedding day. But how ridiculous would it be to notice all those things in the mirror and then the minute you step away, forget that all those blemishes on your face and do nothing about it. That would be absurd. 
I think that's the point James is making. If you hear the word of God, if you hear the good news of Christ, if you see his good and kind commandments to us, and then you walk away and say, no, I'm good. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You're like the person who looks in the mirror, notices the booger, the big piece of food, the lipstick on your cheek, and then you go away and you immediately forget about it. The word of God is like a mirror. It reveals our imperfections, but it also gives us hope to deal with those imperfections. But if we choose to ignore the word and just go our own way, do our own thing, follow the ways of the world, we're like a person who looks in a mirror, but then immediately forgets what we look like. But conversely, if we hear the word and do what it says, we are a blessed person, which is the point of the second illustration found in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, without question, the illustration in verse 25 is a bit more straightforward. Whereas James uses the illustration of a mirror in verses 23 to 24 to communicate the absurdity of hearing the word and not doing it, in verse 25, he just directly gets to the point. He uses a very straightforward illustration to communicate the value of doing what God's word says. In verse 25, he tells us that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that person will be blessed in their doing. Now, there are elements of the mere illustration in verse 25, namely the seeing and forgetting, or in this case, the seeing and not forgetting. But instead of continuing with the analogy of a mirror, James just comes out in, in the second illustration and just says what he means. He says, the person who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and does what it says will be blessed. By the way, I think that terminology of the perfect law, the law of liberty, is another way of, of talking about the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ with particular emphasis on the fact that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures and thus instituted a new covenant. What James is saying is that when we look into the word of God, then when we look into the perfect law and we do it, we are blessed. Now here's the thing. Many in our culture today, including many who are church attenders, are convinced that God's commands are burdensome, oppressive, and out of date. And thus the word of God needs to be modernized or reinterpreted or rejected or just flat out ignored. But hear this, while many critics of the Bible and its teaching are convinced that running from God's commands is the path to freedom and liberty, the exact opposite is true. Running from God's commands does not bring freedom, it brings tyranny and slavery and in the end, misery. It's not the one who hears the word and ignores it that's blessed. It's the one who hears the word of God and does it. This is the blessed person. And for my part, I'll say this, there's never been one time in my life where I've obeyed the word of God and later I regretted it. Now, that doesn't mean that obeying God's word is always easy, but in the end, it's always better. When I was in seminary, I worked at, uh, for about a year at the UPS Air Package Facility in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a fairly stressful job because there was an expectation that we would get all of the packages loaded as best we could into their containers on time so that the planes would take off on time. It was especially stressful when I became a supervisor and the responsibility to make sure that all of the packages got to the plane on time started to fall on me. Now, the trick of it was is that you were always waiting for packages to come in. There's delays from weather around the country and so packages would be coming in. You'd have to wait as long as possible to make sure that you got all the packages on the plane that you could. But you also at the same time had to make sure that you were absolutely certain to get those packages to the plane before the plane was scheduled to take off. Because supposedly every minute we were late cost the company thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Now most nights 
We made it on time. There was always stress, but we usually made it. But I remember there was one night where the wheels just came off the wagon. I can't even remember what the problem was, but for whatever reason, we had to reload a container at the last minute. And so we ended up being very late for our pull time. And ultimately, whatever the reason was, and I don't remember exactly what happened, it was my fault. And one of the bosses from upstairs called down right after we were extremely late in getting the package of the plane, and they just let me have it. And to get out of trouble, I bent the truth a little bit. And I actually placed the responsibility somewhere else other than on me because I just didn't want to take the heat. And as the minutes went by after that phone call, conviction started to set in. Here I was, a person who was a Christian, studying at seminary to be a pastor, and yet I was lying in order to protect my reputation at a box company. And so I decided I needed to call back the angry boss and confess that I'd lied and take responsibility. Now I can say this, I honestly don't remember much of that conversation. I think the boss was caught a little off guard that I was confessing to a lie and ended up not saying much, but I don't remember the response. But here's what I remember vividly. I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of relief that I had told the truth and I'd come clean. There's always, hear me, there's always blessing in following God's commands, both in the short term and more importantly in the long term. In the short term, we have the immediate blessing of knowing the joy of following his commands and realizing that his plan is always better. And in the long term, we have the blessing of knowing that one day he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. To look into the word and to persevere in doing it. By the way, that language of perseverance implies sometimes it's going to be hard. But to persevere in doing it is to find blessing. So let me encourage you. Maybe there's some area of your life where you've put off obedience Maybe you need to apologize to someone for something you've done. Maybe you need to confess a hidden sin that you've, been kept in, that you've been keeping in the dark for a really long time. Maybe you need to change course in an area of your business where you've been operating less than ethically. Maybe you need to step up as a dad and lead your family spiritually. Maybe you need to get help with your anger or your laziness or your addiction. I don't know what it is, but I know this. If you'll commit yourself to doing what the Word of God says, it will bring blessing. And to be clear, when I talk about doing what the Word of God says, I don't just mean that in a theoretical way. I mean that in a very practical way. And James makes that very clear in the way this passage ends in verses 26 to 27, which is now the final and third part of our passage. Three specific application points. Look at verses 26 and 27 here. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in verses 26 and 27, I think James is giving us some specific application here as to what it means to be a doer and not just a hearer. And, and is, is often the case with James, he gets really practical. I think one of the reasons why many Christians over the years have resonated so much with the book of James is because James does not beat around the bush. He doesn't major in the abstract or the theoretical. He gives concrete examples. In the case of verses 26 and 27, he gives three specific application points as to how we might be doers of the word. Or to use the language of verses 26 and 27, he gives us three specific attributes of pure religion. James does not want hollow religion. He wants genuine religion that's evidenced by obedience to the word. And so in verses 26 and 27, he gives us some specific examples of what it looks like to be a doer of the word. Now, let's be clear in saying this. In verses 26 and 27, James is not giving us an exhaustive list 
of what it means to be a doer of the word. Likely what he's doing is giving some specific examples that his readers struggled with. Actually, all three of these things that he mentions here in verses 26 and 27 will continue to come up throughout the rest of the book. So these are things that the recipients of his letters were struggling with. So we're not saying this is an exhaustive list, but this is a starting point of what it means to be a doer of the word. So notice first, to be a doer of the word is to keep a close watch on our tongues. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Perhaps you've heard the phrase before, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not only is that patently untrue, in fact, I've broken several bones, but the far more painful thing is things that people have said to me. But that phrase also downplays the importance of our words as if they're no big deal. Matthew 12, Jesus says that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our tongue reflects what's in our hearts. James clearly took that teaching to heart, no pun intended, because throughout the book, he continually returns to the theme of the tongue. And here he gives an illustration related to a bridle. The bridle along with the bit is an instrument that a rider would use to keep a horse under control, with James' point clearly being that we need to keep our tongues under control. Listen, if you come to church on Sundays, and then you claim to know Christ, but then throughout the week you use your words to berate others, or to lash out at them in anger, or to call them names, or to belittle them and make them feel like garbage, or to gossip about them, or slander them, James would not say, ah, it's no big deal, sticks and stones, that's nonsense. No, James would say, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is, and I quote, worthless. To be a doer of the word is to use your words in a way that blesses others. I have a friend named Doug who lives in Iowa. I don't get to see him much anymore, but I always love being around Doug because he always uses his words to bless and encourage and build up and point to Christ. I've never been with Doug and thought to myself after being with him, that was a waste of time. You know, every time I'm with the guy, I leave encouraged and thinking more about Jesus. As Christians, this is how we are to use our tongues. As doers of the word, we are to think about how we can control our tongues for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. To be a doer of the word is to control our tongue. Secondly, to be a doer of the word is to care for the downtrodden and the helpless. James says this in verse 27, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In the ancient world, orphans and widows were some of the most vulnerable members of society. They often had no access to resources, no way to care for themselves. And so James encourages his readers, visit them. In other words, care for them. And the way he does this, the way he motivates them to do this is by reminding them that they have a father. In fact, listen again to the language of verse 27 and notice the reference to father here. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In Psalm 68, 5, God himself is described as being a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. By using the language of father in verse 27, I think James is reminding us that we are to take on the attributes of our father, which means caring for the outcasts, the downtrodden, the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the needy, the sojourner, the sick, the unborn, the disabled. To do so is to have a pure religion, is to be a doer of the word, one who fights for those who've been marginalized and pushed to the side. Lastly, though, to be a doer of the word is to avoid the trap of worldliness. Again, verse 27, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's the thing, and I think we all know this, the world around us is not living in a way that's consistent with the word of God. 
So if you are living just like your neighbors, or if your beliefs have morphed to match social media sentiments, or if you've made it your goal to simply go along with the crowds to avoid getting into trouble, then there's a good chance that you're not actually a doer of the word, that you're just a hearer. Because as followers of Christ, we are called to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, admittedly, it's a little bit tricky to figure out how do we engage the world without being stained by the world, but this is what we're called to do. And we're called to do so because there's great blessing in being a doer of the word. And I think that's the thing we need to stress most about this passage. It would be easy for us to hear James' words and simply feel the weight of them and miss the blessing of what he's saying. Yes, being a doer of the word is hard. It requires discipline and commitment and sacrifice. But hear this and hear it clearly. There is blessing in doing what his word says. To obey brings joy. We obey because God loves us and wants what's best for us. We obey because we know that he sent his son to die for us. And if he will do that, he will do anything for us to put us in the best position possible. And so his commands then are an extension of his love that he showed in sending his son. To follow God and to know his commands then and to do what they say is to know the joy of seeing God's goodness to us. When you're a hearer only and not a doer, it's not just that you're disobeying God, it's that you're missing out on blessing. So listen, if you don't know Christ, the place to start today is simply to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've gotten off track and have not been a doer of the word, then you need to repent this morning. But you need to repent not just because you should, but rather because repentance and obedience brings joy. To be a doer of the word is to ultimately understand that God is for us and his commands are not burdensome. Rather, they bring joy and peace and contentment. So church, the challenge for us this morning is let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. And let's be doers for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. God, we do pray that we would take your word to heart. In fact, it would be very difficult for us to read this and think, God, we shouldn't do anything. Obviously, the challenge of this passage is to be doers. And so we pray that you would give us the desire to do what your word says, even in this passage. That we would be committed to doing things like controlling our tongue and caring for the downtrodden and the vulnerable and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. And really, we know that we could keep going with command after command after command. But at the end of the day, I pray that our motivation in doing so would be because we understand there's blessing in following you. Because we understand that you love us and you care for us. It's because Jesus died on the cross. And it's because you sent Jesus to pay the punishment for our sin that we can know you are good and you are for us. And your commands are not burdensome, but rather they bring joy. Help us to believe this with all of our heart and help us to live like this is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said,